Welcome to another episode of King of the Ride podcast. Ted King here, your host as always, embracing a fine spring day here in New England. It wasn't too long ago. Let's uh, let's call it late January. I was taking in a, a fine winter day. I was in Florida. The weather was shining bright, much like it is here today. The gravel season was just kicking off with, with nothing but fun and potential on the horizon. I was at the Sugarcane 200, a brand new gravel event, just skirting the Everglades in the sunshine state of Florida. Among other people there, Angela Nath, one of the world's top triathletes with 10 impressive years of experience to her name, that Angela Nath. She's gone sub nine hours three times. In 2015, she was the North American Ironman champion. She's well-spoken. She has a master's in physical therapy and bachelor's degree in health sciences. She is a coach. She is a mentor. She has created an incredible program called, quite fittingly, I Race Like a Girl. It is both a team, it is a community of female athletes, girls and women of all ages that feel welcomed and feel empowered and gosh darn it, they feel and are quite fast. You guessed it. Our guest today is Angela Nath. On this podcast, we're going to talk about some of Angela's incredible highlights. We're going to talk about some of her absolutely wild trials. And we'll even venture into the very real and very entertaining story of living in a tent. No, my friends, not an altitude tent, an actual tent. And as it all relates particularly to this podcast... I'm not sure how much you folks have noticed, but gravel is this magnet. It is a magnet for people and athletes of all kinds. There's so many triathletes coming to gravel right now. High school classmate of mine, Heather Jackson. College classmate of mine, Sarah True. She trains on gravel here in New England. Sarah Pampignano, racing or training. They are, they are seeing gravel as, an, as a place to have fun, as a place to train, as a place to compete as a new challenge. And that is right in line with what you're going to pick up today with Angela. What you're going to find is Angela's positivity is emphatic. So the timeline is interesting here. We recorded this podcast in January. Typically, I launch them maybe a week, maybe a month after they've been recorded. But during that time, the world went berserk. It locked down. It shut down. There was, quite frankly, still is a window of time where we hunkered down and no matter what good news might have been out there, it was dwarfed by the fact that we're in a global pandemic. And so we waited. And now that it's spring, now that the world is coming out of our hibernation, people are poking their heads out of the front door as the lockdown restrictions are slowly being lifted, it is time to breathe in some of that positivity. It's time to tap into what Angela has in spades, albeit with a mask on, gotta be careful. Certainly, it is an interesting contrast to hear Angela's proposed 2020 schedule as we talk about in late January. And obviously, these events are not happening in 2020. But this entire story, the Angela Nath story, is one of tenacity and fulfillment. Take a second. Ask yourself the question, what makes you happy? What gives you meaning? Those are questions that Angela knows with conviction. And just being part of this conversation, I just, I found it incredibly inspiring. You're going to enjoy this podcast. I promise you that. And another thing you're going to enjoy, DIY gravel. My friends, we are currently in DIY gravel round three. We've wrapped up Rasputitsa, wrapped up BWR. We are now into the gravel cup. 
R3, G3, and this weekend. In fact, this is the first time I'm even going to say it publicly. I'm riding DIY Gravel Dirty Kanza XL, Vermont edition. I'm riding from the northeast corner of Vermont to the southeast corner of Vermont. It is a 300-mile ride. It is 90% gravel. The longest stretch of pavement is under 5 miles. Uh, there's an accidental Everest on the docket with 31,000 some odd feet. I'm going to be ticking off over the course of a day. My longest ride by at least 85 miles. Gosh darn it, that's the goal anyway. Stay tuned for that crazy 300-mile bike ride of inanity. I am tedking.com slash DIY gravel or just DIYgravel.com. Yes, I may have purchased the website. Upload your rides because my sponsors went nuts with giveaways for this particular round. You want a SRAM power meter? Great. You can win one. Saris bike rack? Yep, that's up for grabs. We have a bunch of tires from Renee Hers, a $300 gift card from Velocio, a Roka prize pack that will make you drool, clothes from Ngamba, other sweet gifts from all of my sponsors. My friends, we have you covered. It is free to enter. It is as easy as it gets to enter. Just go on a bike ride of at least 25 miles. That's the DK edition. It can be yours. I am tedking.com slash DIY gravel. That is it from here. Wrapping up in a flurry. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Angela Nate to the show. things first welcome to gravel yeah i'm pretty stoked about this this is uh this is very cool to see you taking a lateral step what what brings you to this event well i was just doing a camp for triathlon myself about a week ago Mm -hmm. um that i hosted and a friend of mine up in massachusetts uh he's my bike mechanic friend bike owner everything he was telling me that this event was happening and I just got a gravel bike that he put together and I was like, well, hell, I want to do something like this. So, uh-huh. I, so I'm down here and I stayed a few extra days and jumped nice. in. That's perfect. So I know Boston has been part of your narrative in, in conversation. What's the yeah. connection to Boston? My boyfriend. Ah, very important. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. We can get to that. Um, so what is your experience so far? This is kind of a funny scene. Let me set the scene real quick for the listener. We are currently, uh, what town are we in? Fort? Uh, West Palm? West, West Palm. I'm not, yeah. I don't know my Floridian geography very well, but we are in a parking lot. There are a couple teeter-totters next to us. Uh, there's a food truck. You could probably cram 20 or so cars in here, and we just had our race meeting under three tents. We're also in the middle of a neighborhood on a pretty busy street, so this, mm-hmm. is, a, this is a funny scene. <laughs> Uh, how does this say compare it to the pre-race meeting of triathlon? A triathlon. Well, triathlon has a lot of hoop to it. This is uh, this is this is very cool, actually. I think almost half the people that were at the meeting had beards, which was pretty <laughs> awesome to uh-huh. just see. Uh, very laid back. I mean, did you see the carbo loading with the French fries? I did. That at least yeah. five people were doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to the fun side of this goofy, goofy sport. Uh, what have you been doing so far? We have two hundred miles on the docket tomorrow. What have you been doing to to log the miles 
And yeah. it's January. It's not like this is a July podcast. Oh, no. When I told my boyfriend, who's also my coach, that I wanted to do this, uh, he said, okay, I mean, you're not, you're not prepared at all. So I said, well, let me do a few long rides. And so I did a five-hour indoor ride. Um, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> so we'll Perfect. <laughs> see. That's peak conditioning. How long yeah. ago was that? Uh, a couple weeks ago. Up in Boston? Yes. Yeah. You're a brave soul. I'm from New Hampshire. Yes. Yes. Um, I, my family's still in New Hampshire. Before I moved to Vermont, while I was still in my, the midst of my real racing career, I would always come back in the off season, see the fam, but then immediately, probably like you do, go seek out warm weather. Yeah, like definitely. Go to California. North Carolina, Texas, wherever. And then it's off to Europe. So you also probably have to see good weather. How, uh, like you said, you're hosting a camp down here. What did that entail? How long, for example? Yeah, the camp that I did was mostly not for me. I was just the host. I was the coach. Um, but we do a pro camp in a couple weeks. So I'll be back here in two weeks. Um, we're, I'm here for about three more weeks nice. thereafter and just logging in miles. Definitely. Undisrupted? Three yeah. weeks? Yeah. That's sweet. Well, yeah, you're going to get like, what, effectively... Um, real quick side note, the gentleman in the red, that is his name, his name is Fred and Fred lives in Boston also. Oh, nice. So oh, now I have a new high. training partner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, very cool. How is, how is the fall and winter been up good. in Beantown? I mean, it was good. Uh, I kind of like the downtime. I'm usually traveling and chasing the sun throughout the year. So it's kind of nice to just be at home. Um, I'm from Canada originally, so went up to Canada for Christmas uh, and that was cold. So uh-huh. it's not bad, you know. I don't mind the indoor riding um, because I know that I get a lot of outdoor riding. I just kind of mix it up. I, I Zwift, you know, um, watch a lot of a lot of Netflix. <laughs> when you're okay, that's a good question. What is your what is your methodology? If you're on, you just mentioned Zwift and you mentioned Netflix. Are you yeah. dialed into those particular things, or do you like to have as many things going as possible so you can sort of like disrupt the? Many things Otherwise as possible. Monotony. I have my phone near me. I got uh-huh. music. Sometimes I put um, the English subtitles down on watching a movie and I listen to music at the same time. Good call. Um, I mean, whatever makes the time go by. <laughs> I, I, I can appreciate that. Um, it is amazing. This The term that's being used is the uh, ecosystem, which is your trainer now. So like, mm. it is a television and it's a realistic, you know, your meme or whatever the heck they call it. Uh, your, your avatar, rather. You're doing this international stuff, right? Racing against somebody who's in Australia. Mm. I mean, it's kind of fascinating all the stuff going on. Um, how about how about that familial upbringing? What part of Canada are you from? Uh, West Coast, way out in the boonies. Um, nothing really there. <laughs> A lot of how trees and forest. Uh, it's about seventy-five thousand, and we're the biggest the biggest town or city within like three hundred, four hundred miles. Way way out so, south, British yeah. Columbia. Yep, okay. up north in BC, right in the s- center of that province, actually. Are you a skier? How are the mountains up there? The mountains are great. You can get to a ski hill in half an hour. Fantastic. Yeah, and uh, I'm not much of a skier. Um, I did I did cross country downhill skate skiing for a bit, but I I left for college and yeah. didn't go back. <laughs> uh, what's what is the upbringing like? What were those were those sports that you just mentioned sports you dabbled in or were you like dialed into any particular no, sport? No, those were super just dabbled in. Um, I ran track uh, since sixth grade um, and that was really my sport. Um, and it's, I did a little bit of mountain biking here and there, but nothing really too much more than just run. Siblings? Any, any siblings? 
Yes, older sister, younger brother. Uh, mm-hmm. Older sister played basketball. Y- younger brother is karate, but I was really the only like diehard wanting to do every sport out there. I dig it. How about your folks? Uh, fo- my dad was a bodybuilder. He actually Dang, probably is the like, one that inspired me. Super huge. Yeah, Whoa. yeah. Uh, he actually competed until I was about four. Um, and I, I remember doing like push-ups and sit-ups with him in the living room when I was like four years old. Um, and he still goes to the gym on a regular basis. Yeah. So. I was in Muscle Beach last week, which oh, is a fascinating part of the world. <laughs> that was my first experience with such a thing. Yeah. Um, I thought it was reserved for cartoons. <laughs> um, okay. So at what point does triathlon hit your radar? It wasn't until after college. So I went to track. Uh, I mean, I went to do track um, as a college athlete. and dabbled In the in, States? Yeah, in the States. Where'd you go to school? Uh, Columbia, Missouri. Lovely. Yep. And then I got into some cycling there and, and joined a road cycling group. I actually went into some races and crashed my first race, <laughs> broke my hip because I had no idea that you couldn't cross over wheels. I mean, it was ridiculous. I cracked, oh my gosh. Yeah, but it was fantastic because it was my second year of college. And all my professors gave me straight A's because I had to get shipped back to Canada because of the emergency and the medical and costs and stuff. So in the end, it worked out well. I didn't have to do any exams, but it sucked. I'm kind of flabbergasted right now. <laughs> I understand that often people will crash in their first time using clip-ins and so forth, or they will crash in their first race. Yeah. It's not often they break their pelvis. No, I basically just literally was going, I don't know how many miles per hour, and then just went straight on the pavement. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, it sucked. Um, any any invasive aftermath? No, no, no. No, surgery. no. Uh, no I was in a wheelchair. Had yep. to do water, walking. Uh, then I had crutches and then a cane and then got back into Just walking. Just sympathy always. Yeah. yeah, it sucked. That's amazing. Um, but okay. it wasn't until after college I, I wanted to still be active and I saw a triathlon as an opportunity for fun, kind of like this, and uh, ended up doing a race uh, four hours away from my hometown. I, I won the race. Um, not knowing what the hell I was doing, and it just kind of lit a huge spark in me, and I was like, I want to do this, so then I started researching. What's the, in cycling, the term, for somebody who is new, we will often say that person is a Fred. A Fred? Yeah. That's a new a term. A Fred means just a newbie, right? Like, like, there's a certain aesthetic, which is very superficial in cycling, and I'm sure that there's an aesthetic in triathlon and in tennis and in running and in school and, like, what is hip? Is there is there such a term in triathlon? I guess just newbie, I mean. Okay. Yeah. So in hindsight, when you win this race as a newbie, do you look back and sort of fist pump how cool it was or cringe at the clothing you were wearing? Like, what? Oh, I fist pump, man. That's I mean, that's pretty own awesome. It. <laughs> yeah, totally own, own it. it, no matter what I was wearing. <laughs> it's not how, it's how many. That's yeah. outstanding. So from there, it's like gung ho. Let's go. Let's yeah, pursue I thought this I thought I could get to the Olympics, but my swimming is very subpar, and you have to be a really fast swimmer and runner to uh-huh. be on the Olympic level. Um, and so I met a coach. I went to a uh, camp down in California because I wanted to get out of the winter, and met a coach down there. And he's the one that kind of inspired me to go ha- the longer distances and to get that pro card. So um, now I've I've heard. Some of your story, which is fascinating because uh, parts of it hinge off really small things mm-hmm. like a pebble or a tick. Yep. Do you see what I did there? Uh, that's very interesting. <laughs> um, which is a wonderful connection to gravel because gravel often rides on pebbles of various sizes. Take me through the arc of your story where you're going from winning a new brace to switching to longer distance 
to having some uphill battles against pebbles and, and small insects. Yeah, I'll try to make it short and sweet, but All um, we got is with time. some details. <laughs> so went into, I, I got my pro card pretty much pretty quickly that year after I met that coach. Which is, um, how does one get a pro card? Is it well, time-based, Well, every country is different, but in Canada, it was it's based on time. So okay. you have to get a, a below a certain time in a certain distance. Gotcha. So I, the, I did my first half in Alberta, Canada, and uh, got the time and just got my pro card. So I was, I was really just jumping in, like not knowing anything about the sport. A um, few years went by, got a ton of second places, never really kind of like punched my way through until finally I won my first half in 2011, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was in Boulder, Colorado. And then from there, I just kind of, kind of, kept racing and I, I really was doing quite well. Um, I then decided to jump into the Ironman and won my first, well, I didn't win my first one, but I won my second one. And then I won the North American championships, which qualified me for the world championships in 2015. Ironman. Yeah. Holy I got, yeah. Smokes. It's, uh, and I got pretty Were serious. Were you expecting that result? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> okay. No. Where are you in the arc of your, uh, fitness and and um, being coach and wherewithal of like how to perform in a, such a long distance yeah at that point I changed coaches a few times I was coached by Mark Allen I just started working with Jesse Kropelnicki from QT2 Systems um, so I kind of knew quite a bit about the sport but still very new at the actual distance um, so yeah I got my book I, I booked my ticket to Kona was racing training really hard I kind of got too lean I kind of got into that mindset of I had to lose a lot of weight to get faster and I was on that red line, you know, yeah. and I got to Kona. My, my big toe was sore and I was going for just an easy jog and I, I stepped on a pebble <laughs> and I heard a crack and felt a crack in my foot and yeah. I knew instantly it was broken. So I, man- I, I managed to get a cortisone shot, not that it would do anything, but I got an MRI right away. It was clear. Everything was fine. And um, how far out from... It was like eight days, eight days, got a T like everything I could get in terms of, so I could see if I could race, did the swim bike, got off the bike in like fifth or fourth or something like that. And my, my foot was just blown up. So there's no way I could run. Um, from there, a whirlwind of doctors to figure out what was happening. I went to four to five different ones, x-rays, everything came back clear, but it wasn't healing. Finally went to California on my own dime and, uh, saw a doctor and he said it was broken. Uh, the second metatarsal at the base. And so then I was in a boot and everything. It's second t- is out by the edge yeah. of your foot, not by the big toe? Uh, yeah, so it wasn't even by the big toe. It was just kind of referred pain. Okay. That's However, cool. there was still pain in the big toe. So when I came back to Florida that year, I met another doctor who said we should probably clear this toe out mm-hmm. um, because of arthritis and stuff. And at that time, my foot was still kind of sore. Uh, so I talked to my coach and we decided this would be a quick, easy thing. So did that. Long story short, it got infected, um, had to have another surgery on that, cleared that up. Um, then I was on a month of antibiotics, like a pick line, which I couldn't train with really. Um, my foot was still sore. So I was going back and forth with the soreness, with orthotics and all this stuff. Finally could train. I was running up to 18 miles again. Um, was jumping into another Ironman and I went in for the swim and was coming from the swim to the bike and felt a pop in my foot. And I was like, crap, <laughs> it's broken again. And for sure enough, that's when I started dating my boyfriend and he had a friend up in, in Massachusetts who's a podiatrist. He said, just go see my friend. He's really good. He's, he's an ultra marathoner, triathlete. So I went and saw him and he said, 
he said, yeah, it's broken. And the only way it's going to heal is if you have like a full on plate and screws put in. Holy smokes. So I ended up doing that. That took quite a bit of time to heal. Uh, but then finally it did. Got back into racing. It was fantastic. Um, that year kind of went by. That following year, I uh, came down to Florida again. Just felt off. And uh, I knew something was up. I got a bunch of blood tests and my and my my, cre- my creatine levels were really, really high, like like outrageously high. And mm-hmm. um, there were times where I couldn't even walk. I couldn't get out of bed. Like I just felt like I was getting MS or something really serious. Something was and wrong. And so from a blood value standpoint, yeah. creatine was the one that was pinging yeah, way high? Yeah, that, that, one, that one got my attention. It's okay. like something's going on. Yeah. So I ended up going to Boston Children's Hospital and saw a specialist. And she said, oh, you just have a virus. You need to take time off for two weeks. And, and pardon my mild ignorance. Or enormous ignorance. Boston Children's, do they, do they treat more than just children? Yeah, they treat, they treat all sorts of things. So it was like a women's health sports place. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, gotcha. they have all sorts of things. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Boston is a, is a medical mecca. There's yeah. some incredible docs and hospitals there. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. So I was tested for Lyme. I was tested for everything. And she said, just take two weeks. Got two weeks. I was getting worse. Yeah. Um, went back to her and she's like, well, I've seen this in athletes. You guys just push yourselves too far. You're going to have to take a whole year off. And I, and at that point, I was like, this is not for me. Time out <laughs> again. going on. <laughs> Everything you've said up to this point, you've, and I realize for the sake of uh, expediency, you've said, okay, I'm going to tell this story as quickly as possible. And yeah. there is a heck of a lot going on. In telling the story, things get glossed over. Like, how are your emotions? Oh, I'm like, I'm a messed up case. Because, like, Lyme itself, like, that's obviously what I got diagnosed with. But it just messes your brain up. You go from depression to anxiety to, you know, everyone thought in my head I was just like, it was just all psychological. Because, yeah. like, on paper, I was the epitome of health. Like, right. There was nothing wrong with me. Like, the, C, the, the, the CK levels dropped after a while. And, I, I, I mean, I was fine. Yeah. So, and then, um, and how about, how about like when you're doing the transition, you break your foot for the second time? Oh, I know. I, I mean, mean, you just keep pushing forward. <laughs> I know. So it's, it's, it, I imagine cycling is no different than triathlon and vice versa. Like you just bang your head against the wall yeah, for so long until you break through. So, yes. so when you get that, when you break your foot the second time, you're just like, well, okay, time to go back out there do it again are you questioning yourself at all no not at all because this I, it's not because i love it i mean yeah i mean crap happens and you just got to keep moving forward you know it's uh at a girl it's the nature of it okay so so we have we have let the cat out of the bag you have you ultimately are diagnosed with lyme yeah so it took a while so the the doctor that actually fixed my foot he had a friend and he said you know i think you have lyme and i said oh no 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 i've been tested he's like no yeah. just go to my my friend he's a specialist mm-hmm. so i went to him and and it's funny because this doctor's kind of like uh kind of in the scene right here in his office oh, oh, man. <laughs> kind of in the middle of, of nowhere um small little mall kind of building office thing and yeah we are as he much has as dogs I just... in his in his office building okay. lying on the floor <laughs> there's strip malls everywhere i yeah. should point that out as yeah. much as i say we're in a parking lot with a lot of cars yeah. okay and uh and as soon as he saw me he's like i'm 99 percent sure you have lime but I'll, let's do let's do some other testing okay and lime is really funny because it's not really uh it's not understood uh, even totally. the testing is not understood. I mean, it's 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 a crazy illness. Um, so, anyways, it came back with Lyme and two co-infections. So, when you get by bitten by a tick, sometimes they carry these other bacteria. There's up to eight or nine of them, and I had so I had three total. Uh, went on a slew of antibiotics, um, and I'm still actually on antibiotics right now. 
so I kind of waxed and waned going on and off. But that year I was determined. Uh, I sat down with my boyfriend. He said, well, what do you want to get out of this year? I'm like, I want to get to Kona. I mean, that's ultimately my goal. But I was in the midst of, like, treating Lyme. So I ended up racing six Ironmans um, within five months or four months or something. Holy um, cow. I ended up qualifying. Yeah. Um, is it, that's why you run such rapid succession? You're like to get the time to get yeah. to go to Kona? Yeah. So when I first okay. started doing the Ironmans when I was going, I was like slow. Like my, my, my Ironman run pace, because I just couldn't move my, my body. It was like four, like almost four hours, like like yeah. ridiculously slow compared to what I should be at. That sounds fast to this non-runner. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, so then I uh, got to Kona and I was feeling fantastic and I placed eighth. I mean, it was, Whoa. it was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was pretty stoked about that. Um, ended up continuing to race and the next qualifying slot was Cozumel, race Cozumel. And I, I missed first place by 13 seconds because of a mental lapse. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Ouch. <laughs> it was like a, it was like 800 meters to go. And I was like, I was like, Angela, get your ass out to the finish line. She's yeah. right there. Yeah. But by that time, I just, I, I couldn't make the gap of the 13 or 15 seconds or whatever it was. And after almost nine hours of racing. So, yeah. um, but, uh, but no, I was happy as a clown. And then, uh, and then the following year, which was last year, I, my symptoms, I started feeling like I started getting pulled, like a pulled strain muscle in my quad. And that's kind of a symptom as an athlete, you get these weird, like muscle strains and pains and so I thought I broke my femur again like 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 that's what I thought when I was first going through Lyme is that I was breaking all these bones because the pain was so intense um and I should have known but I just I thought I was over it you know I thought I treatment was over and everything and so apparently I just didn't treat it long enough because sometimes Lyme you have to really be on antibiotics for a long time so then I went on this like research craziness where I wanted to be on everything and anything sure. because I wanted to annihilate this stuff. So I ended up doing that. And then I went back to Boulder, Colorado to train some, but because of the altitude change, my first two weeks there, my, I was just kind of like always really lightheaded and stuff and mm-hmm. especially being on these meds. So one day got in out of the hot tub and thought, Oh, I should get a, a smoothie. And in the smoothie line, I started seeing black and I held my head and turned around and I fell oh. and, uh, and I fainted and landed on my tailbone and my wrist well, I, I, I came to and I thought I was I was thinking of my tailbone at first. I'm like, if I break my hip or something from this, this is ridiculous. But in 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 the same case, my my right hand was a complete mangled mess, and so I actually broke my wrist into like sh- like I just shattered it. Ended up having surgery. Uh, decided I would still race in three weeks, Ironman Boulder, because I mean. Why not? Because of barrel bars. So, yeah. You don't need to be dexterous. Exactly. So I actually got a cast that was waterproof, and I swam like a rock, but I managed to get out, and I was I came out of the T1 in, in first place, actually, um, and I was running, but I still wasn't I wasn't the athlete. I, I, I was still messed up on meds and stuff, so I ended up pulling out at mile 17 because I was just going backwards. Yeah. Um, but it was a big, good training day. Um, I ended up going to see a specialist in Vail because I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Europe to race the next one. I just want a better cast so that I can swim a little bit faster because like, I, because if it was stable, it was fine. And so he ended up uh, saying, everything looks good, but let's just do a CT scan because that's what I do with all my, all, all my patients. So he, so we ended up doing that and he came back and he said, pull up a chair. And he said, this is, he said, this doesn't really leave this office, but uh, this is the most terrible job I've seen on a wrist. He said, if you were like a desk clerk and typed your whole life, it'd be fine. But any type of pressure on a bike or anything, it'll just completely shatter. 
So he actually cleared out his weekend. And in 48 hours, I was back in surgery, uh, got 14 screws, a new plate, and an external fixator on, <laughs> on my wrist. What's external fixator? So it's like, like this big metal thing that came from like my forearm to my thumb yeah. to, to hold my wrist in, in place oh my gosh. for three weeks, which was fine because I could ride inside. I could run. Yeah. Um, so it actually helped heal things really fast. So I ended up getting that out. And I what year are we in? This past year. This just okay. this past year. I thought so. Yeah. So unfortunately, I missed the ability to qualify for Kona for this past year because of all that crap that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started feeling better and better and jumped into Ironman Chattanooga in the end of September. Mm-hmm. Won it. Ooh. So now I have my slot. That's so now I'm jumping into gravel. <laughs> Perfect. Well, well, the UCI is threatening to get into to gravel, UCI being the governing body of cycling. Nice. So, yeah, we'll have world championships here in no time. Oh, that would be very cool. Um, okay. Amazing story. Yes. Clearly guess, one yeah. of many, many impressive highs and I don't want to say lows, but obstacles. Um, yeah, they were lows, though. They, they were, were definitely lows. Okay. Well, very good, because that, that sort of hinges on the next question. What? How do you personally deal with adversity? Because that is one heck of a lot of it. Well, I, you know, my whole life I've had ups and downs like that. I mean, I've been injured a lot. I've been, go- I've gone through crap. I mean, I guess I just, I just keep looking forward. Um, I mean, I, I definitely have my days where I'm down and, and in the gutter and stuff, but you know, you surround yourself with good people. And, uh, I always just, I don't know, my mindset goes, goes in the gutter for a couple of days, but then I'm right back at it. Okay. Well, how can I fix this? You mm-hmm. know? And, uh, I mean, it's just always gotten me through. Definitely. That's outstanding. Um, the, the sport of triathlon, it seems to me is you're, you're sort of a privateer, much like gravel where you, you have to look out for yourself, but then you surround yourself by, a particular team and whether that's mm-hmm. your physios or doctors or, or trusted confidants or therapists of, of any variety, what does your personal team look like? Um, it consists of friends, family, and doctors. <laughs> um, so I have a few good doctors on my side. My, my foot doctor, I can text him at any time and he, he's so helpful. Um, Brian, my bike mechanic, he's actually my boyfriend's pretty much best friend and he's our neighbor. Uh-huh. I just, was texting to him and he's the one that got me into this and so What's he's Brian's last name? Brian Hughes. He knows Tim who's racing. Yeah, Tim was sitting next yeah. to me over here. Yeah. Um he keeps telling me what Tim's doing, so <laughs> he's just relaying it to me. You're gonna want to follow Tim. Tim likes to go on 198 mile attacks. Oh so okay. if you want to go on an early flyer, that's a wheel no, to no, follow. No. Okay. I'm all about finishing this thing. All right on. That's also an excellent goal. Yeah. And then uh, my boyfriend, obviously, he's my coach. I started dating him like almost three years ago now. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, friends. I also have a team, and I, um, an all-women's team I started like four years ago. And we're just all good friends, and that's where I was last week. And um, it's just been really good to kind of have that global team and, and network, yeah. definitely. Super cool. This is a relationship question. My wife and I ride bikes a lot and she is competitive and I'm competitive and we like being having fun on the bike and this, that, and the other. Uh, at times she has asked me to coach her mm. and that can <laughs> potentially present difficulties. She likes to ask questions. She won't say no, but she'll be, there's always a why. Like, why am mm. I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Tell me about your relationship with your boyfriend who is also your coach. 
Yeah, so before I started being coached by him, I was coached by Jesse from QT2 Systems. So uh-huh. I was coached by Jesse for about three years. Then I was going through Lyme, and I mean, it just was such a whirlwind that I didn't know what I was going to feel every day. And Tim worked for the company. He coached a number of pros and athletes and stuff. And so there came a point that I just asked him, like, I need help. Like, I can't relay what I'm feeling and how I'm doing with Jesse via phone all the time like like you see me every day mm-hmm. so he just started slowly kind of helping me and then I and then I I asked him to coach me um but I don't ask a lot of whys I mean I I just do what I'm told basically you know I definitely tell him when I'm tired mm-hmm. like the other day I was like I need to sit on the couch yeah, 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 <laughs> um yeah. but otherwise I'm pretty I'm pretty self-sufficient um uh he actually has to hold me back quite a bit and you know, I, you know, I push him a little bit sometimes, but I, I never question because I've already because I already know the philosophy. I already know what's coming up in terms of how he would coach me anyway. Um, so we actually work really, really well together. Um, we try not. I mean, I, I never talk coaching to him, but if I do, I say, hey, do you have a few seconds? And like uh, it's it's really not a big deal at all. I mean, it, if anything, it's great because he's there mm-hmm. all the time. He's supportive. He's 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 he also understands what it's like to be an athlete. So. Um, I mean, we just have fun with it. I mean, that's that's the ultimate goal. Do you? So it is doable. Oh, I, I know. No, we, we make it work. We just make it work with a lot of whys. Yeah. Uh, does he get out on the bike? Does he run, train yeah, so with you? Yeah, he used to be a pro triathlete, actually. Okay. Um, and he's still doing Ironman and stuff. But no, I, I'm kind of a solo. I like to... I, I have him swim with me because, again, I was telling you my swim is a, a bit lacking and he's a pretty good swimmer. Um, but in terms of running and riding, I do a lot solo, almost nice. all of it solo. Yeah. And how about the team? Is that I race like a girl? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me all about that. Yeah. It started when I was going through divorce and I was like, what the hell's going on with my life? I needed more in my life than, than just me pursuing these, these, these athletic goals. Mm-hmm. And when I started the sport, I was, I was hooked up with a lot of homestays where we would stay at people's homes to help to help just pay for costs and stuff. And I met so many people. And when I started the sport, I always thought, man, it would be so awesome if I could just talk to someone who knew more about the sport, who was a professional, how do Mm -hmm. I get into this? So that's kind of how it started. I wanted kind of a global online community and it's been growing ever since. We're like about 300 plus now globally. And um, I've met a lot of friends there and we've gone to races together. And so it's just a huge support network. I'm able to coach a lot. a lot of them and just be there and we I mean it's it's just fantastic it's it's my way to be connected with with everyone because sometimes like even like as a triathlete it's a very solo endeavor and so it's not always um fun you know and this brings back why I went to the sport in the first place you know what is the what are the means with which you network and communicate is it is it a website? Is it an app? Is it nonstop email, text communication? Um, well, they can connect with me anytime. So yeah. everyone has my contact and they're pretty cool. But we ha- we have a lot on in a private Facebook group. Yep. That's it, It's an easy platform. It has basically everything. Sure. Um, and then also we have a website. Um, and then I email a ton and do like Facebook Live and video and stuff like that. So It is funny how much endurance sports hinge off... Uh, an individual or a group's willingness to give back and philanthropy. Like mm. you're talking about the homestays. Mm-hmm. Like someone's just opening up their house to you. I know. And I then know. that has opened up your goodness and your heart to say, I'm, I'm, I have all this wealth of, of knowledge and information and resources. Like, how do I give that back? Yeah. And, you know, no different than like Bert throwing this event. Yeah. He just wanted to throw some gravel 
events together. Like he's certainly not looking to make money here or grow something massive. He's just yeah, he's been pretty fantastic. I've been texting him a bit when I first started. And oh, he's a riot. <laughs> he's been incredible. Yeah, I yeah. first met him at uh, Unpaved in Pennsylvania, and he's like, oh man, I'm coming to uh, now called Mid South and Dirty Kansas, and yeah, the man's got energy. Um, I, I appreciate, there's a lot of characteristics, again, triathlon to gravel. I've heard in other conversations, um, I like to use the word, uh, I'm not even going to use the word. You've lived in tents in the past. there's a part of that story, yes. So there's, there's some truth to that story, is that correct? Yeah, there's, there's, there's definite truth to that story. Okay, so there's like some sort of bro-y couch surfing uh, dirtbag culture that I mean that I don't infu- I, I I wouldn't say that's the culture I think that's just how I <laughs> no, 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 ventured no, no. okay that's what I'm saying like that exists in cycling yeah and and maybe less so in gravel but there's like there's this wholesome nature of saying I'm gonna go sleep on a couch or what have you yeah tell me about your tent experiences well uh, yeah was it a yurt no it wasn't a yurt well it was, I lived in a trailer on someone's oh, someone's um air, um uh, yard in California for a good couple months with my coach back then it was a very different coach I, I actually ended up dating him which probably was not a good decision because he was uh 16 years older than I um but we won't get into that money details that'll be my next question um, but yeah when I when I ventured into triathlon I, w- I, I had I had everything in Canada I had a, f- had a full-time job I had an amazing partner I I had the white picket fence the house everything but I just wasn't I wasn't fulfilled you know I wanted to it's not what was me and I, I knew I wanted to be an athlete still, and um, so when I, when triathlon jumped at, jumped at me, I I found I found it, and this coach saw this potential in me, and I just said, well, I, I mean, I'm not happy, and I want to see what will make me happy, and so I just I headed south um, with two thousand dollars in my pocket, and that was it. Um, I literally had that in a bike, and so the coach I was with is very was very eccentric, but I have to give him. 100% kudos. He's the one that got me into being a professional. Yes. Um, his ways may not have been uh, uh, the way of many, <laughs> you could say, but uh, <laughs> he definitely showed me the way in terms of how to slowly build up. Yep. Uh, we, we eventually parted ways, but during that time, I mean, we both didn't have any money. And so a lot of times we stayed at some of his athletes' houses and in, in their basements. When I first met him, we lived uh, in California in a little trailer on someone's yard. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like a, like a, seven by four like a standard little trailer you know it didn't even have like running water (laughs) we would wash our we would wash our clothes at the local y and hang them up to dry um just go to the bathroom outside (laughs) i mean it was pretty brutal a huge appreciation for everything yeah i i I didn't really tell my parents what was going on because they would have they would have come down and got me living the dream down here mom and dad i ended up going in debt and going back home and working as a full-time uh physical therapist for uh almost a full year with them uh just to save money and say look just give me one more chance i I, I gotta try this and i think that's what really fired me up you know so that was the time i started getting second place second place second place and and there were times you know in between places we we he had all this tent supplies and stuff so we would sleep in tents and i mean it, it wasn't uh it wasn't it wasn't easy. I mean, it, sure. uh, it was not easy. <laughs> well, maybe indirectly it set you up for the previous question of how do you deal with adversity? I mean, like, yeah, that's if you true. Are, are constantly going through a pretty simple life, then you're probably not going to do so hot when you're four and a half or nine hours into a race. Yeah. Next question. Ironman, half Ironman. Those are not short distances. No different than crazy 
freaking long gravel races. Yeah. Where does your mind go? Um, well, because it's broken up into three sports, it's kind of fun because you, 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 you can yep. break it up. When um, I try to focus, um, I try to think of nothing. I think that's sometimes the best things, yeah. uh, especially during the, actually during any part of the event. Well, when I don't think, I do my best when I'm performing. Uh-huh. Uh, riding's a little different because you have the ability to kind of, let your mind wander and think a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I like, I'm not much of a mountain biker, but when I mountain bike, I, I, I'm in that zone right away I, because I just have to make sure I stay on my freaking bike. <laughs> so I'm hoping gravel's a little bit like that, especially this the start of this race and the dark and yep. the animals. He, he talked about the boars coming out. Yeah, wild boars. Well, I don't know what that's Some <laughs> Some Florida panthers, the gators. Yeah. I saw a gator today. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah, no kidding. And he just says, go smash right through them. <laughs> right, yeah. That was the best piece of advice when he says, if you guys see a gator, make sure you go straight at it. Because apparently what I've learned today, you know, we impart some advice. Advice: Local gators are wild, and therefore they don't like seeing people and they're scared of you. Whereas tourist gators that are in the parks and the zoos and stuff, they are so domesticated that you can basically go up and pet them, somebody said. Oh, which seems really dumb. Yeah. And because they're, yeah, they're just waiting to be fed. Huh. Um, and yeah, so therefore charge the local gators and hopefully we don't see any boars. Yeah, hopefully for the best. <laughs> Welcome to Florida. So yeah, you'll you'll see you'll see some characteristics. There's not as much uh focus that's gonna go directly into single track mountain biking, mm-hmm. but from the, the twenty two miles that we rode today, there's a little bit of everything. And yeah, you're you're largely paying attention to what you're doing. It's not like being in the Queen K, which is yeah, oh, like riding into a hairdryer. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, favorite races? Saint Croix. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. It, I mean, the riding is is kind of like mountain biking. You really got to pay attention. There's extreme potholes and uh-huh. crappy roads, uh-huh. but the mountain range and the going up and down is fantastic. I mean, anything that's kind of like islandy to me. I love Cozumel. Yeah. Uh, I do love Kona. I mean, I just like hot and humid. Definitely. Yeah. Like any Harder good northern bike, Canadian. Oh, you'll appreciate yeah. this. Um, I rode my bike with three friends down the James Bay, the western shore of the James Bay. Oh, yes. In uh-huh. February. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was very cold. No kidding. Um, yep. Negative 40-ish through most of it. Oh. So as a New Englander, I went north. As a Canadian, you went south. Yeah. Yeah. It will, I think it'll be warm tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I think 70s is what they're calling for. It's 70s. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh... How does your how do you dictate your schedule? You've talked about what seems to me a busier than average uh, schedule for an Ironman athlete, but it's often to try well, to get the results. Yeah, in order the to last get into couple years were completely. Yep. P- people thought I was nutty. Like they, uh, you know, friends of friends would go to my boyfriend at the time and and say, "I can't condone what she's doing." Like it's yeah. just. I mean, it is. It's crazy. I, I wouldn't do it either. But they don't know the concept, the, the the context of how I was doing it, what I was feeling, because I was going so slow at times. I wasn't really beating myself up, and I'm not someone to just sit on the sidelines. You know, if I, I mean, I got a chance, I'm going to try for it. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'd rather fail. And fail, then not try at all. So that's kind of my mentality. Um, but this year is kind of cool because I have a wide open schedule. I got my slot. I can do anything I want. Yeah. And so that's why I jumped into gravel. And I'm, I might do a bit more because it's just, it's it's a great way to train. It's mm-hmm. totally different. It's challenging. It's fun. And uh, in terms of racing, I mean, I, I just have an open slate. So I'm, I'm stoked. It's kind of perfect. Now, I am not a swimmer nor runner, but... 
Yeah, you basically do in these two hundred mile races. You're you're effectively start out at endurance, but then you roll into tempo, and then you're like, yeah, obviously at the end of ten hours, your threshold power output or your general mm-hmm. output is so much lower than it was ten hours ago. So you're basically floored the entire day. So <laughs> if if cycling is a sport that athletes often go to for rehab and so, so as to not put huge stress on their body, this is going to be like the greatest training day of all time for you. Nice. <laughs> what other, what other, well, so going back to that original question, what, how do you pick a calendar? Like what is, what does your 2020 look like? Yeah. I mean, I put, I, I have a bunch of ideas, maybe eight or 10 races that I'm really looking at. I'll probably do a couple Ironmans cause I'm good at the longer distances. There's yep. a qualifier at the end of August in Penticton, Canada that I'd like to do for the following stunning. year. Stunning. Oh, yeah. I actually used to live in Penticton. Um, That's where I had the nice white picket fence and (laughs) nice life when I left. But it is beautiful. It's fantastic (laughs) there. Um, So I'm actually hoping to go back because my family will will come there. And then uh, then Kona. So, I mean, I I haven't really particularly said, okay, I'm doing this race, this race. But they're on my radar. So as the months go by, you know, I'm I'm not. I'm just going to see how fit I am and and how things roll. Um, Young lady, what is your age? If uh, I'm not that young. 37. How do you, what do you see looking forward? How do you, I mean, yeah, want to race? Do you not want to answer that oh, question? Oh, I want to, oh, I'll answer anything. Um, I want to race for as long as possible. I mean, there's a few pe- women on the circuit, you know, they're 44 and still racing. Sure. Um, I think one, one lady is, is a lot older than that actually. But the great thing about uh, triathlon is, you know, the age like you can do it for a long time and professionally for a long time like I just feel like I'm now hitting my my form which is fantastic I started later I started after after my college years and so I just feel like I I'm I'm still fresh really I have so much to learn I've done a number of Ironmans but not as many as some of my peers like um and I think you you have so many Ironmans in you um that you can do well at and so I just feel yeah, I, I'm still excited as ever. And so I, I, I think in the next five years, I'll still be racing. <laughs> That's outstanding. I mean, I see that fire. I hear that fire. Um, you probably were having to pump the brakes for a good long while amid foot injuries and Lyme. And- yeah. And, you know, I look back at that and I think maybe it's a benefit in disguise because I didn't, I didn't train as hard as I could each year uh-huh. and so I have all that kind of I mean I mean that's the positive swing around all this it's like <laughs> I got many years ahead you know yeah. I'm, I'm still pretty solid uh-huh. tons <laughs> how how do you suppose you'll look back and define a successful career for you have you already had it or do you know I feel I feel like I I'm I'm in it you know I feel like I'm building something that's more than just me with my team and helping others and and uh, I felt it this weekend you know we had a group of almost 50 women together and it was just amazing it was such a cool time and um you know I've had I've had glimpses of some really good races and I feel like I still have a lot more to give in that in that sense and so uh, those fe- those feelings of those good races are still within me, and I, I just I'm craving them more and more. And I think I can give back a lot more. And I have s- I I still have ton a lot to learn about myself and the sport. And I mean, every race you're always trying to get that like super perfected race, and you know it may never be possible, but it's it's something that drives me. Yeah. Quick airplane flyby. <laughs> the bike shop is next to the airport. I feel like. A lot of endurance athletes have recently been talking about the letter to your former self. Hmm. Um, I've been thinking about that myself as my career has segued. Um, 
if you were to right now sit down and write a letter to your former self where you couldn't you couldn't change the past but you could give yourself some expectation what might you what might you say um follow your heart i mean there is a lot of times i think i questioned myself and had to look for others for um understanding or direction and I think if I really truly just like sat down with myself and asked myself what do I really want I think some of the directions that I've taken would have would have been better Mm -hmm. um a lot of times I let in my starting of my career I let others kind of dictate that direction and um at the same time I you know I obviously left Canada and I, I pursued what I wanted but I was I wasn't confident in myself enough. I wasn't assertive enough. Mm-hmm. So be assertive, confident, and trust yourself. That's pure gold. I love it. Uh, okay, and then we wrap up with three much simpler questions instead of these big big philosophical ones. Ready? I'm going to deliver them in rapid-fire order. One, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Two, what is the number one place you would like to ride a bike that you've never ridden? And three... With whom, living or otherwise, fictitious or non, who would you like to go for a bike ride? Or go for a triathlon? (laughs) Um, I love to ride in the mountains. So Mm -hmm. anywhere where I can climb my bike and be in the mountains is fantastic to me. Second question was, I forget. Favorite place, uh, the number one place you would like to ride that you've never ridden? Um, Somewhere, I mean, in Spain, in Europe. I've never been where you've ridden like I've never been there and I would love to do that it's mountainous it's amazing Pyrenees yeah it's more bien yeah and who would I like to ride bike with well Uh I'm sitting with them right now and I hope to stay on his wheel (laughs) oh my gosh I am flattered (laughs) no 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 I really do I I think I mean I don't know if that's the smartest thing for me to do or even think about but you know it's a (laughs) tomorrow's gonna be an interesting day (laughs) uh 200 miles is a exceptionally long distance but this has been purposefully, purposefully capped at 200, uh, 100 riders. Mm. So it's not as though we have 3,000 people scattered over the countryside. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I just don't want to be out there in the middle of nowhere on my own. So that's my goal is to stick on somebody's wheel, keep it low key for however long I can. I like that. And then see what happens. I like that philosophy a lot. I think it will be a chill race. I like as more and more gravel events are getting more and more competitive. Um, it's really nice to see these kind of pop-up events. I really mm-hmm. appreciated like what they're trying to do. And at the end of the day, it's purely to build a community. Mm-hmm. So being at the the shakeout ride this morning, it was just like, there's a whole bunch of people who are just purely stoked to ride a bike, That's which fun. you are, which I am. So with a foolishly early morning, yes, I wish you uh, a great night of sleep. I thank you very much for the time. Yeah, no, thank you. Let's have a good day tomorrow. Awesome.